Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Litmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. And I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. You know, we're getting very near in terms of time to the horrendous death of our Lord Jesus. Uh, Things seem to go as a snowball rolling down the hillside, gathering speed, momentum, and power as it moves toward that, that fateful day. We're going to be looking right now at a fifth prediction of Jesus' death. We're staying in Matthew chapter 26 now, looking at verses 1 through 5. Jacob, you want to read those? Yeah, it says, When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is be handed over for crucifixion. And at that time the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the courtyard of the high priest named Caiaphas, And they plotted together to arrest Jesus covertly and kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. It was Tuesday afternoon when Jesus left the temple and delivered the discourse to his apostles. If it was late in the afternoon, after six o'clock, then it would have been the Jewish Wednesday. I'm not sure how late in the day it was when Jesus left the temple. It appears that it is now the early moments of Wednesday. The Lord's public ministry is over. The brief time remaining until the Passover and his death is now upon him. Jesus will spend it with the apostles and in solitude with his father. Wednesday seems to have been completely spent in retirement. There is nothing recorded concerning the events of that day. There is nothing recorded concerning Thursday except for the preparation for the Passover feast. The two days are from Tuesday evening to Thursday evening. The reason for the fifth prediction of his death by Jesus was to establish the faith of the apostles, I believe. The time was very much upon them, and they needed to know that it was going to happen, and it was going to happen quickly. It's so interesting that even as the chief priests and other members of the Sanhedrin were planning to postpone their efforts to destroy Jesus until after the feast, he's saying that they would actually crucify him at the time of the Passover. It's also interesting that the leaders of the Jews wanted to arrest Jesus secretly and condemn him before the people could intervene. Remember, just days before the general populace had acclaimed Jesus as the Messiah, most would change their minds. I agree that this is really for the disciples because the preciseness with which this um, uh, foreknowledge is demonstrated shows his uh, his deity. This is the way God. This is this, this is only by the knowledge of God that this information could be known. You, know, you might say that in the matters affairs of men you would say 
you know, my my time is probably just about up. You know, David said that while Saul was chasing him. You know, one of these days, Saul is going to overtake me. Uh, and still, it's going to come like a thief. You know, it's going to be unexpected. But to be able to plot this out to the day, after two days, and then it's going to happen, that, that would be a huge, uh, huge uh, and, and very powerful evidence that after the after the fact for the disciples to be able to be uh, encouraged by yeah exactly and the material we're going to get to in the rest of the gospels there's going to be um, at least a couple of times when jesus will say i've told you this um, for, so that they may believe so at once it occurs they may know and believe and certainly that same idea fits into to this verse giving them the literal um, aspect of what is going to happen and I'm amazed in, in this piece and, and going forward into the rest of his earthly earthly um, time in this life is how his willingness to go through what he's going to go through and not backing down from it. Um, it. It's one thing to be able to say that something's coming and to know it's coming, which is amazing in and of itself, and yet to not shrink away from it and to go through it all is just amazing. And we even see, again, the hatred of of Jesus from these religious uh, authority here and still um, he, he's going to continue um, to, to keep doing the, the Father's will. Okay, let's stay in Matthew chapter 26 and see another very, very sad event and we'll look at verses 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Judas went to the high priest, offering to deliver Jesus up to them. This appears to have been after their conference concerning Jesus. About what prompted Judas, what motivated him to do what he did, the Bible doesn't really have a great deal to say. Luke states that the devil entered into him. The emphasis on money, the 30 pieces of silver, that certainly indicates greed. You might remember Judas's anger when Mary anointed Jesus in John chapter 12. It wasn't concern for the poor that prompted his anger, it was his greed. So greed and avarice were certainly part of his character. John also mentions in chapter 13 and verse 2 the devil's part in this act. It would be made clear that Judas was not a subject of demonic possession that he could not resist. Judas opened the door and the devil came in. He deliberately yielded to temptation and he was paid his 30 pieces of silver in advance to seal the bargain. And from that moment on, he looked for an opportunity to do his deed, to deliver Jesus to the chief priest at a time when he was away from the crowd. I think it's interesting to note that uh, 30 pieces of silver is the amount that was placed on the head of a slave in the Old Testament. Exodus 21 verse 32 says, If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver. 
and the ox shall be stoned. And so the price of a slave, which is exactly what we see here, not only that, but there is Old Testament prophecy that this would happen specifically to Jesus, that the price would be 30 pieces. And Zechariah chapter 11, uh, verse, verse 12 says, Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. So this is, uh, this is something that even Old Testament prophecy has spoken to. Yeah, I think to the, the point of, of, of Satan and his role in all of this, that um, you know, the, the devil knows what we're tempted by. Um, I think we certainly can see um, and what we know about Judas, that, that money was a temptation for him, greed was a temptation, and I think it's certainly no accident at all that um, Satan is going to use that to try and accomplish what his desire was um, in, in putting to death the, the Son of Man. Obviously, he loses tremendously in that, but I, I think it's, again, no accident that he goes after Judas in the way that he does, um, and, and Judas falters, and we'll, we'll even get to this later, but Judas betraying Jesus just like Peter betrayed Jesus. The, the, rea- the reaction is, in reality, both of them could have been forgiven. Um, and and the, what Judas had done, though, was didn't take that opportunities where, where Peter did. Um, and so, again, that's, that's jumping ahead a little bit. But um, just to understand, Judas didn't do an act that was something that always he couldn't come back from. Um, but he, he chose to, to not take that opportunity as we continue on in our study we're arriving at the point of the preparation for the passover meal it's found in matthew chapter 26 verses 17 through 19 but i'll tell you what i think this is one of those cases where all of the synoptics included and we need to read all of the accounts matthew mark and luke so that we might fully understand what took place in the preparation for the Passover meal. So, Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 19. Ross, you want to read those? Yeah, sure. want to read Luke. Now on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man, and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Mark's account says, beginning in verse 12 of, of Mark chapter 14, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, His disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. 
So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Now the first day of eleven bread now the first day of eleventh bread came in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And so Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, so we may eat it. They said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upstairs room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. The first day of unleavened bread was the day before the Passover. The Jews were required to remove all leaven from their homes one day before the Passover and then keep it out for a week. Mark and Luke also make it clear that the first day of unleavened bread was the day on which the lambs were killed for the Passover meal. The Feast of Unleavened Bread began properly on the 15th of Nisan, but the removal of the leaven from the house on the day before the Passover 14th of Nisan, caused it to be called the first day of unleavened bread. As soon as the evening of Nisan the 13th arrived at 6 p.m., in the very beginning of Nisan 13, the Jews were accustomed to searching their houses for leaven, proceeding in silence and with a light, looking for any, any, any little bit of leaven whatsoever. The day on which the Passover lambs were killed began at sunset of Nisan 13 and extended to the sunset of Nisan 14. The lambs were killed in the afternoon from approximately 2.30 to 5 o'clock. The priest would catch the blood of the animal in a bowl and pour it at the foot of the altar of burnt offering. The lamb would then be carefully prepared and roasted. The unleavened bread and the bitter herbs to be eaten with the lamb were also roasted and prepared. Now, how the site of the miracle was selected is a marvelous example of the foreknowledge of God. In order to go into the city, they had to enter through the gate. Jesus either instructed them concerning which gate to enter, or he already knew what gate they would use. He foreknew the moment that they would arrive at a certain point that this particular man and no other would be carrying a jar of water. Jesus foreknew the journey of the man, unquestionably a servant, to his home, and the fact that the master of that home would gladly allow the use of his large upper room by Jesus and the apostles. I believe that by the way Jesus was identified to this man as simply the teacher probably indicates that the master of the house was a disciple. The large upper room, the guest chamber, would be furnished and ready. It would have all the usual furniture needed for such an occasion. Matthew alone records the statement of Jesus, My time is at hand. By this he meant the time of his betrayal and death. 
you know, as I hear you read about the Passover, uh, the thought uh, came to me concerning the leaven, that they searched for every little speck of it. And I, I just can't help but think about the chief priests and the scribes and elders of Israel doing the same thing. So, somewhere, somewhere in Israel, they too were eradicating their houses of any speck of leaven. And yet, as you know, we had just read that they had plotted to take Jesus by deception and kill him, yet not during the feast. So just, just the brazen hypocrisy of the leaders who have this evil plan of the devil in their hearts as soon as this feast is over, and yet they're going through the motions of a Passover feast, getting ready themselves to kill the Passover lamb. Just the irony of this whole spectacle is, is appalling. And, uh, and also thought of the great privilege that it was for Jesus, for this man, to, to be able to house Jesus and the disciples and to let them enjoy this feast together. Uh, that must have been a very special event for him. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to imagine being Peter and John in the in this instance. I mean, certainly they were eyewitnesses to a lot of amazing events um, and miracles and, and teachings, things that we have written for us, things we don't have written for us, um, as John 20 will talk about. And, you know, for us even, we've read of a lot of amazing teachings and miracles that Jesus has done. But imagining being Peter and John and experiencing all this and just... I can't imagine walking into the city and seeing this a man carrying a pitcher and meeting you and, and throughout the whole thing to know this is exactly what Jesus told us was going to happen. And going in, the, the, telling them what the uh, what Jesus told them to say. And it, it all worked out just as Jesus had said. I, I cannot imagine the, the feeling that that would be for, for them. Um, and again, just as Greg was pointing out earlier, it shows the great foreknowledge of our God. Um, and it was proof to Peter and John, um, even more so, of who Jesus was and, and for us as well. Well, let's look at the meal itself. It also is recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. It's in Matthew chapter 26, verse 20, Mark chapter 14, verse 17, and we'll be focusing on Luke's account, Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 16, and also verses 24 through 30. So I'll go ahead and read Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 16. And the hour had come, and he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom. Skipping down over to verse 24. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, 
just as my Father bestowed upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Well, after the preparations had been made, the meal to be eaten after sunset, it was now evening and Jesus sat down to eat the Passover with his apostles. The Lord said, With desire I have desired, which is a Hebrewism that simply means I have desired exceedingly or greatly. This is the last such occasion that Jesus will celebrate this feast together with his apostles. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 16, we find the statement, For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This does not mean that Jesus did not share the meal with them at that time, for he most assuredly did. The Passover was fulfilled in the kingdom of God when Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we remember that sacrifice. In this sense, Jesus shares with us on each Lord's Day in the solemn commemoration of his sacrifice on our behalf. And as a result, I think that there's a great exhortation that remains for us, and that is, uh, we better not be a no-show. You know, we better we better be there. What a great insult that is not to show up for such a feast. He says, I'm not going to drink it, eat this until I eat it new with you in the kingdom of God. You know, he's already taught that when you gather uh, the saints together, that he is there in the midst. And so this, uh, this is something that, uh, that we should look forward to, that we have opportunity each week in order to uh, remember him. And so uh, let's be thankful for that feast and, and look forward to it and not begin our preparations for it. Uh, you know, just moments before before it happened. Jesus looked forward to this, so should we. Yeah, pertaining to the um, who is the greatest aspect there, I think of, you know, a just a, a worldly person. Uh, we're, we're to read verse 27, and it's, you know, who's greater, the one who reclines at the table, the one who serves? Right? I mean, well, of course it's the one who reclines at the table, probably one of status, of wealth, that is able to have all these servants and different things like that. That's not the case. Um, it is it, the one that is the, the greatest is the one who serves. Um, and Jesus talks about that I am among you as the one who serves. We see throughout um, Jesus's everything about Jesus, his service to to other people, to us, and um, clearly showing as it even as we'll get to um, in John thirteen of his great service to to the um, to the disciples. That's going to do it for today's program. Uh, Jacob has mentioned what we will be talking about next, and that will be the washing of the apostles' feet, a true example of humility. But right now, we're going to wrap this up and invite you to please go to our website, www.nkcofc.com, and find out a bunch of information about the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. Until the next time then, thanks for listening.